Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. From our WSBT radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish is upset. Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time agents. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Streaming live at WSBTradio.com. Plus, on our free WSBT radio app. Just go to the iTunes or Google Play Store if you don't have our WSBT radio app. Search WSBT radio. Once you have the app on your phone, you can listen to the program live or on demand. The Twitch app is up and going. Our camera is not operational right now. It's gone Dak Prescott. So we have the audio feed on Twitch, just no video feed. Eight minutes after 5 o'clock. I hope you had a terrific weekend. My name is Darren Pritchett. We've got two hours of sports talk coming your way on your home with the Fighting Irish and the NFL playoffs. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Pretty good weekend of football. I don't think it matched the excitement of the First round, the super wild card weekend round, but we had some pretty good football action over the weekend as we put college football, I guess, to bed for a little while, although spring practice will be here before you know it. The NFL is still going strong. We've got three games left in the NFL season, including our two championship Sunday matchups, which can be heard on WSBT Radio Sunday at 3. It's the NFC Sunday at 6.30. It is the AFC championship game which leads us into Super Bowl 57 in Glendale Arizona in less than three weeks bring it on all right coming up on the program this evening we will talk some NFL playoffs also the Irish basketball team you thought maybe they would gain a little spark from the Mike Bray announcement not so much unfortunately also coming up 
what looks like a devastating knee injury for an outstanding Notre Dame women's basketball player, Dara Mabry, suffered in yesterday's game. There has been no update today on Mabry's status. We're going to talk to the South Bend Tribune's Anthony Anderson, who covers Notre Dame women's basketball, to get his thoughts on the injury yesterday and what it means for this Irish basketball team that is trying to acquire a number one seed in the upcoming NCAA tournament. If Mabry is out for an extended period of time, which I guess is what we expect, hopefully we'll be surprised. But who goes into the starting lineup? Could it be a rotation of players that take turns starting? We'll find out from Anthony when he joins me in about 20 minutes. Also coming up on the program this evening, we've got another interview coming up at 6.05. WHME-TV radio, also WNDU's Chuck Freebie will hop on the program to talk about Mike Bray and his 23 years, plus the game he called Friday night at the Penn Palace a terrific atmosphere at the Penn Palace for Penn and Marion, two of the top teams in the state of Indiana. We'll look ahead to his 46th game of the week coming up tomorrow night, which will feature the team that we work with, the Mishawaka Cabin. They'll make their first appearance on the 46th game of the week coming up tomorrow night. So we'll talk to Chuck in less than an hour. Top five storylines from the NFL division around. We've got that for you, plus a little sizzler to wrap up the program here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. The first pitch of the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch. Into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. All right, our hat trick of topics to start the program begins with the Notre Dame basketball team. We found out late last week that Mike Bray was going to leave as Notre Dame basketball coach at the end of the year after 23 seasons leading this program. I was hoping this would add a little oomph to this team that has just one win in the ACC and a record overall below 500. For a while it looked like, yeah, maybe there was a little spark. And they were playing a pretty average at best Boston College team at Purcell Pavilion. Well, the Eagles spoiled all the fun. Or would it be better to say that the Fighting Irish defense allowed Boston College to walk away with a victory? Boston College 84 and Notre Dame 72 from Purcell Pavilion Saturday afternoon. Boston College is not a good shooting team. But against the Irish, overall from the field, hit 56.9% of their shots. From the three-point line entering Saturday's game, Boston College was shooting 29%. The Irish allowed the Eagles to go 11 of 19 from Trifecta World for 57.9%. They allowed them to get to the free throw line 15 times. My one word, seriously? We all know that watching this team this season, defense is a major weakness. They get beat off the dribble. They have trouble in the post because of their lack of size. It's tough for them to rebound. 
So I think that's pretty well documented. But you know one thing about playing defense? Half of playing defense is effort and hustle. We shouldn't applaud hustle. You're supposed to do that. Now you have to put yourself in the proper spot in defending a player. And you have been given that information by your coaches through video review. So you know if a guy likes to use his left hand or his right hand or he likes to move one way or the other, you have that data given to you. So you should be ready to defend them. You have to read the action on the floor. You have to know your keys. But you know what? The coaches could spend four hours on preparing these players, and it's not going to matter if effort and hustle is not a part of each player's makeup going into that game. There's nothing a coach can do or say other than just sitting everybody and putting people on the floor till they find five ready to get in a stance and defend. At this point, that wouldn't hurt my feelings, to be perfectly honest. One thing about being a broadcaster, I've tried to be rational. We all, as fans, get irrational. We overreact very, very quickly. I try not to do that in my line of work. This is a day I'm probably being irrational. I'm probably being that individual. I just, I don't understand being good on one end of the floor and not the other. How can a player allow that to be acceptable? Just doesn't make sense. It's got to be a part of the DNA DNA of the next group of Notre Dame basketball players. Got to be able to work on both ends. And I know they have a short bench. You have to save energy from time to time, but that's just not going to work with me. So I'm a little frustrated at the, the team at this particular point. The players own responsibility, and I just didn't think it was good enough. The effort on the defensive end against, again, an average at best Boston College offense, and I probably promoted them too much to the average level. Tony Simeone calls Fighting Irish Basketball on the Notre Dame Radio Network, heard right here on WSBT Radio. And it's his job after the games, in particular the ones at home, to sit down and have a conversation with head coach Mike Bray. At this point, I'm not sure what else he can ask because we just kind of have the same problems every game. Rinse, (laughs) wash, dry, repeat. That's kind of where we are right now, but Tony, Tony brought up a couple of things to Mike Bray after the game, and this is how it sounded after the loss to Boston College right here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Coach, they shot... Uh, pretty well from the floor, 57%, yeah. 71% in the second <laughs> half, also the 11 threes. It just seemed like they had their way offensively in the second half against you guys. They did. I mean, we were um, – I give our guys credit to coming back. Did we take the lead twice? It was it was a two-point game uh, late within one, I, but, I but they yeah. had the lead the entire second half. Yeah, yeah but we were within two. Yeah. yeah. No, I thought we took the lead once, didn't we? Did we take the lead once? We took the lead once. Oh, you're right. You're, I'm sorry. 59-58. Yeah. You're correct. Yep. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. we, you know. Um, and then, you know, the, I mean, you got to – we've been better from the foul line. We missed a lot of free throws. We missed some open threes that, 
you're going to have to make. Um, but we uh, we had a hard time in the paint against their athletic ability, which has been a problem for us, you know, all season. Nate Lashesky, obviously a bright spot, new career mm. high, 29 points. Wow. I thought he, he shot you ahead in the game, shot yeah. you back in the game. He really did it all for yeah. you. This is one of his best nights. You know, he's. I think at least he didn't turn shots down, except the first one of the game. He turned it down, he drove, he got it blocked, and then he started shooting. And, um, you know, he's trying to jumpstart his group and get everybody playing well on the same night, and we, we just haven't been able to do that enough. You mentioned, too, your, your team, and they did it on Tuesday, too. They did fight back. As you mentioned, uh, you're better than me. They got the lead back in the second half for you. You know they're giving it all right now, but they're not getting the results. Just just how do you keep them in the right mindset going forward? You know, it's been a it's really a neat group of kids. You know, I really love how they've hung in there and had each other's back and and um, you know really just keep trying. And uh, I feel for them a little bit because they're unbelievable. They do everything they're supposed to do. Um, we've got to be tougher at times, and and uh, that's an area we're struggling with. And then when you're not confident and you're wondering the game becomes a little mental and and um that's what we're trying to work. probably the best thing that happens to us is we go on the road mm -hmm. and you play and no one gives you a chance and um that that may help us a little bit on tuesday but of course nc state's an nc tournament team yeah i was going to ask you the last one before i let you go is just what are you going to really try to focus on as you get ready for raleigh what's maybe your one message to them to get them ready for a good chance on the road to maybe pick get one back up? on the horse baby we got to get back on the horse we're going to get back on it and and play and let it rip on tuesday night and and you you, you can't sit there and we, what am I going to watch film of all this with them come on we've been doing that all year we <laughs> we got to get back on the horse and play a little bit and and, and uh, see if we could get off to a good start offensively down there, and then all of a sudden maybe you can believe and steal one on the road against a good team. Appreciate our crowd. They've, yep. been, they've been fabulous, man. We're going we to keep plugging. I can guarantee you that. All Thank right, you. Coach, Thank appreciate you. it. There's Mike. Just getting back on the horse is Mike's way of saying, I'm out of speeches. I've done all I can do at this point. And the execution throughout the game, end of game, just isn't good enough it's not even close and I don't know if I would agree with the assessment they're giving it their all because on the defensive end I don't see it Notre Dame NC State tomorrow night 7 o'clock here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT alright let's move along I moved here in December of 1998 so as a media member and a fan here in the state of Indiana since that time. The only thing I know about high school basketball is class basketball. I was not in this state for single class hoops. I remember when the state title game from time to time would show up on ESPN. You'd see the RCA Dome filled with 20, 25, 30,000 fans. It caught your attention. Someone that was not from Indiana, like, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. Of course, a lot has changed since the IHSAA went to class basketball. The interest level in the sport, unfortunately, has gone down in many areas. Some spots, it's still terrific, which is great. But I'll say this. For a couple of hours Friday night, forget about class basketball. The Penn Palace which featured Class 3A's top-ranked team, the Mishawaka Marion Knights, and Class 4A's second-ranked Penn Kingsman. 
that was an atmosphere that I'm sure reminded all of you that are familiar with the old days of single-class basketball. The excitement in the building was off the chart. The student turnout was tremendous. Now the Penn students got in free. I'm sure that helps. But what an electric atmosphere. I was able to walk in for the last two minutes and just an incredible environment. I went back and watched a good chunk of the game on WHME Channel 46's replay and just fans of Marion Penn, that was awesome. Two great teams squaring off, deserving of that type of atmosphere. So I felt like I walked into a pre-class basketball hoops game at the Penn Palace. Marion had won eight straight over the Kingsmen in the series. I mentioned WHME's Chuck Freeby. He's going to join me at 6.05. This audio courtesy of WHME and their broadcast of the 46th game of the week between Marion and Penn. There was a little history involved. Jackson Price knocked away by Burton. Here's the chance for the record. He's got it. Marcus Burton is the all-time leading scorer at Penn High School, breaking Noah Applegate's mark. The frustration of losses to Marion is over for the Penn Kingsmen. The number two team in 4A has beaten the number one team in 3A by a final score of 66 to 52. And courtesy of WHME, Penn wins 66-52. As you heard Chuck say there, Penn's Marcus Burton, the Notre Dame commit, became the program's all-time scoring leader, had 32 points. I said commit, he's actually signed, so I can change the phrasing there. How about Deglin Sullivan of Marion? He had 15 points. He is now second on Marion's all-time scoring list, so he made a little history on Friday night as well. I don't think there's any question those two teams, regardless of class, are the best two teams in our area. Penn is absolutely loaded with three great guards and two bigs that can do some really good work down low, but the guards are just tremendous. You take away Burton, they're still a heck of a team. They've got two other really good guards on this team. Marion, for my money, is... I guess after this game is played, just a small tick below Penn. But the folks in 3-8, they're going to have their hands full with Mishawaka Marion, no doubt about that. I think Northwood is in that second tier with Marion. And then there's a host of schools in that third tier. LaPorte, Michigan City, Mishawaka, South Bend, Washington kind of highlight that particular list. But Penn, Marion fans, that was incredible Friday night, and a little taste of single-class basketball, a little Hoosier hysteria at the Penn Palace on Friday night. And our third topic, NFL playoffs over the weekend. Just some things that stood out. Patrick Mahomes suffers that high ankle sprain, leaves the game, comes back, still fires two touchdown passes. Kansas City knocks off a game Jacksonville team, 27-20. The Eagles... The blowout of the weekend, they hammered the Giants 38-7. Philadelphia ran it for 268 yards and three touchdowns, plus a couple of touchdown strikes from Jalen Hurts. Then the emotional 
Matchup between the Bengals and the Bills. Cincinnati took charge early, put the Bills in a tough spot. Buffalo couldn't recover. You wonder if the emotions just kind of wore down this team. They just did not look like the team we expected. Of course, some of that, or maybe a lot of that, has to do with the way the Bengals played. Bengals win 27-10, and Joe Burrow, man, that kid, he may be the best quarterback in the NFL. I know Patrick Mahomes is still in the NFL, but Burrow, 242 in the air, two touchdowns. And then the weekend wrapped up. San Francisco knocking off the Dallas Cowboys in San Francisco, 19-12. Brock Purdy, the third-string quarterback, Mr. Irrelevant from the draft, is now 7-0 as a starting quarterback, and he outplayed the $40 million man, Dak Prescott. Good stuff. We'll have the championship games on Sunday. 526 is our time. I'm Darren Pritchett. Coming up next, the Notre Dame women's basketball team picked up a victory over Virginia at home yesterday, but it came at a price as one of their veteran guards appears to have suffered a serious knee injury. What does this mean for the future of the Irish? We'll talk to the South Bend Tribune's Anthony Anderson coming up next as Sports Beat rolls on on this Monday from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Five thirty-one on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. Welcome back to the program. Well, the Notre Dame women's basketball team is one of the top teams in the country. They are 16-2 overall. They are 7-1 in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Their next game is Thursday at home against Florida State, a game that you can hear on our sister station, Live 99.9 at 8 o'clock. But the Notre Dame basketball team likely will look a little different on Thursday as they will have a new starting lineup for the first time this season. A change is going to occur due to the injury suffered yesterday by grad student guard Dara Mabry. The Irish beat Virginia 76-54, but the win was obviously dampened by the injury to Mabry. Well, Anthony Anderson is the Notre Dame women's basketball beat reporter for the South Bend Tribune. He was at Purcell Pavilion yesterday covering that game for the Tribune, and he joins me here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Anthony, good to catch up with you once again. How are you? I'm doing well, Darren. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Well, what a somber few moments at Purcell Pavilion yesterday, Anthony, after Mabry went down with the injury. Looks like a right knee injury in the opening two minutes of the basketball game. As you watch the play, Anthony, it looked like it was just going to be a normal old layup, didn't it? Yeah, she made a great open court steal. And even though there was a foul called on the play, I don't think that foul uh, had anything to do with the injury because she was fouled on the inside, on her left side, and she went down. She started to go down, I think, even before the contact. And, and they're not they're not suggesting anything sure. uh uh, to the contrary, uh, I didn't like the way the player for Virginia reacted, but uh, but th- there was th- no. It was, it's all it's it really could be described as a non-contact injury, even though there happened to be a foul on that play. Hmm. And I would assume Anthony, at this point, as we have this interview at five thirty-three on Monday, there's been no update from Notre Dame. No update from Notre Dame. Uh, you know, Dara uh, 
you know, this this generation, they're they're into their social media, so I wouldn't be surprised if something comes out from her eventually there. Okay, we'll keep an eye on that, that's for sure. So after the injury took place, Anthony, how do you think this Irish team responded? Because that sometimes is a very difficult thing to do, come back, get back on the court after you watch a teammate and a friend go down with an injury. Well, that was that was remarkable. Uh, that was one of the crazier things I've seen. They scored 18 of the next 20 points, mm. beginning with the two free throws that Bransford took uh, in Mabry's place. And you've seen that, you know, teams are lifted up by something like that in the short term, and then some of them, because of the actual lost personnel, it's a little different in the in the long term. But I thought that was amazing. And then they were just about as good at the start of the second half, which obviously after they had time to go in and, digest what had happened even more it was like the more they digested it the, the better they were so it was uh as i said in my story it was agonizing but galvanizing yeah. it, it just um they, they they really responded and and it was weird it was kind of foretelling uh jenna brown who is probably going to pick up minutes now if there is out uh she said that uh and and, and neil concurred that uh they had just had a meeting i'm not sure what day it was i want to say it was friday talking about their their Adversity always hits that you don't see coming. So there was <laughs> there was sort of a foretelling there in that regard. So um, and and it's true, you know. It, it feels like almost half the teams in the country get hit by a, a mm-hmm. semi to serious uh, lengthy injury these days. And the Irish have had their share the last five six years. It seems like yeah. Anthony. My goodness, Anthony yeah, Anderson. I, obviously, tw- oh, I'm I was just, I'm sorry. I was just going to say 2018. Obviously, is the the threshold for anybody in, in in the country. They won the national title with a team that lost four players to ACL injuries, although that was a little different uh, if you wanted to go through it piece by piece uh, yeah. as far as how that developed. But, uh, you know, it can be done, and uh, it's been done. Yep. Anthony Anderson covers the Notre Dame women's basketball team for the South Bend Tribune, talking about the entry to grad student or yeah, grad student guard Dara Mabry, who was fifth on the team and scoring at 9.3. She has hit the most three-pointers on the team, 33. So I gave a couple of stats there, Anthony, on Dara. How would you describe to the average Irish fan what they would miss if Dara is out long-term? Well, even though she's known as a three-point shooter, I I think they would miss her moxie and feistiness on the court more than that. I think uh, two things will happen. They'll they'll shoot uh, fewer three-pointers overall. She shot 40% of their three-pointers. Uh, I think Citron will shoot more three-pointers. She was 6 of 7 yesterday. Uh, Westbell's very capable. Olivia's been a little better at it uh, lately. and uh, So I think they can make that up for the most part. Um, but you know what was interesting to me was they started the second half with the three, if I recall, three bigs on the floor together mm-hmm. in uh, Lauren Ebo, Kylie Watson, and um, Maddie Westbeld. Uh and that was really the first test of how they might proceed going forward. And so that puts three bigs on the floor. Uh, Jenna Brown will play more at guard. Um, but I, I think they have a lot of options, and I think Coach Ivy's going to find a way to maximize those options. That's old school basketball, putting three bigs on the floor. You don't mm-hmm. see that much yeah. anymore. So yeah. let's let's just throw out some names then, Anthony, with a team that has started – the same lineup throughout the whole year, Miles, Citron, Westbell, Mabry, and Watson. 
you mentioned there the bigs were an option for DL in yesterday's ball game. Do you have a sense of the choices that she has to fill out the starting lineup, the person that might take Mabry's place? I think again. I think it's really intriguing. If, if they go with the three bigs, and no matter who you start, that doesn't mean you're going to play that way the whole game. And they may go with with more of it, their lineup may be more determined by who they're playing. And, and another player we should mention is Cass Prosper, who is just mm-hmm. the early enrollee. She's not she's not a point guard, but she's a guard, and uh, by virtue of playing where, and she's a good shooter. And by virtue of playing where uh, Dara was, I, I think uh, Jenna Brown and and Cass Prosper will pick up the most minutes, but I don't think it'll be a, a lot more minutes because I think uh, there will be times, and there already have been times, that Ebo and uh, Watson have been at the floor on the floor at the same time. And I think that's been one of the, the coolest developments this year because when they both came in, they were perceived as competing for time. But she, she's used them both at the same time a lot, and they play really well together. Uh, Lauren plays more of a true post, and then, Ebo's uh, more of a, a true four when they're on the floor together. Anthony, you mentioned Prosper a second ago, and she is the five-star recruit that entered Notre Dame early. She's played in seven games so far, averaging right around 10 minutes of ball game, 3.4 points per contest. What is your early read on her talents? Uh, she's highly skilled. Uh, she's not... Uh, flinching at all at the the increase in, in talent that she's facing. The stats are maybe a little skewed because I think there's been a couple games where she's gotten a lot of moments, a lot of minutes, mm-hmm. uh, where they were in control of the game and then was not used as much in some of the closer games. Uh, but she, uh, she's got a high ceiling. She really does. I'm going to ask you a question about Olivia Miles, and I'm not necessarily trying to compare her talent for talent with Skylar Diggins because there there's differences in their game. But the question I want to ask you is, when you watch Miles play, how she affects the other team, how she makes her teammates better around her, does she have kind of that same feel to her that Skylar did back in the day for this Notre Dame basketball team? Well, I don't know if this will surprise you or not, but I, I've watched a lot more of Olivia Miles than I did Skylar Diggins. Okay. Now I followed her passively, but I was, you know, I was covering high school sports and that's right. at the time, and I'd watch her on TV, and I'd say I, I did see her a lot, and she was a super dynamic player, as everyone around here obviously already knows. I think uh, I think Skylar's probably a little more explosive scorer when she wanted to be, but um, o- Olivia is. She's magic with, with with the ball in her hand, and she puts she puts the defense on their heels almost constantly. You have to play differently because of the way she plays as a defense. Is she the type of player come March Madness? And I know she's great at distributing the basketball. I mean, 129 assists already this year. The next closest has 44 on the team. But isn't she the type of player if she would have to score 30, 35 in a game, she would be capable of doing that? But right now, her role is to be. I guess someone that scores, but also gives everybody great opportunities. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you've seen her have really good games in the big games. There, there's no doubt that she can she can put a thirty up, but that's what's needed from her. And and, and speaking of her, you know, we she is potentially the player most affected by by Dara because there's going to be a little bit of pressure on her to not get into foul trouble, mm, and because Dara yeah. was the true was the true backup at point guard. 
Now, Jenna Brown can play it. I don't think she's much of a consistent scoring threat, but she's a really heady player. Um, she's somewhat limited by her history with, the, with, with her own knee injuries. Um, but I, she was really sharp yesterday, but she's not going to give you a lot of points. So, you know, if they, Olivia goes out of the game, they drop off. And without Dara, they're going to drop off even more. Hmm. Anthony, as her, we her minutes, they can't go up much more. I think she averages thirty-one minutes. Yes, yeah, she her does. Her minutes will probably go up. <laughs> That's nothing on Coach so Bray's team. What are you talking there's about? Room for more, yeah. <laughs> Anthony, as you take a look at this team, I don't want to throw away the rest of the regular season because there's a long way to go, and they're going to have to learn to play without Mabry. It sure seems like. Is there a chance with the way Notre Dame's resume is right now in the games in front of them? Would they have a realistic chance to gain a number one seed come March Madness? Well, I, I think at this moment it kind of depends on what the teams in front of them do because uh, South Carolina, Ohio State, Stanford, uh, LSU, uh, they're going to have to slip. Notre Dame, uh, you, Notre Dame's behind UConn in the rankings, but if it's super close, they have the, they they beat UConn and they they beat them well head to head. You got to see what Indiana's going to do. Um, so I, you know, right now they could move up to six, and beyond that, they're probably going to need some some help from a couple teams ahead of them to get a to get a one seed. Um, I, I think they're more likely to get a two. Okay. And I also want to ask you about with grad transfers being such a big part of all sports nowadays. Coach Ivy had some players leaving the portal. She also brought some in. How well has the transfer portal helped grow this basketball team? Well, it's been interesting. Uh, obviously, Sam Brunel was in town yesterday, even though she didn't play. Um, the, the, the four players, by the way, that they lost after this season, just to show how loaded they are, um, they're all doing well right now. Um, but as far as who they brought in, uh, Maya Dotson last year, as, and she should be playing this year. I'll never understand that decision hmm. by the NCAA. But uh, she was a perfect fit, and I'm sure uh, Carol Owens, the, the assistant coach, had a lot to do with that. And then now I think Lauren Ebo is probably performing beyond what anybody outside of that team expected as well. So the transfer portal has been pretty good for them, especially with with those two individuals. And I still think uh, Kylie's going to uh, grow as she as she stays in the system. She's got uh, she's got two more years of eligibility after this year. Mm. So it, the portal's been been you know pretty good for them. Finally, Florida State is in town tomorrow. Is this going to be a stern test for the Irish? Well, Florida State just moved into the rankings uh, today, and uh, I think they're 24, um, and they're playing really well right now. They have a sensational freshman. Uh, you you need to know the pronunciation. I don't because I'm not on radio. I think it's Tania Lawson. But she's won the uh, – I don't know if she won it today or not, but going into today she'd won the uh, ACC Rookie of the Week nine out of the ten weeks of the season wow. so far. She's been great, and they're, they're, pro- they're probably – uh, the surprise team of, of the conference at this point right now. So they're going to be tough. And then they got to play at North Carolina State on Sunday. So they got a couple toughies this week. Well, let me tell you, that's why I'm not a writer. You should see my hockey pages. It's written out how I'm going to pronounce a name. I can't spell anybody's name, but I got to at least try to get the pronunciation right. That's for sure. Well, of course, you need to follow Anthony Anderson on Twitter also and the South Bend Tribune. He'll have the latest, of course, on Dara Mabry as just a a horrible situation yesterday, suffering what appears to be a right knee injury. 
and her season is up in the air at this time, but still a lot in front of this Irish basketball team that is 16-2, 7-1 of the ACC and hosting Florida State Thursday at 8, and you can hear the game on our sister station, Live 99.9. Anthony, good to catch up with you. I really appreciate your time and your analysis tonight and looking forward to talking to you down the line. Right, and I think everyone knows this, uh, Darren, but the last thing I'll mention since it didn't come up is she, Dara had played 135 of 135 games in her college career and started every one of them. So it's incredibly durable player going down. And eligibility is over after this year? Uh, that appears to be the case, but okay. you know the NCAA yeah. surprised you both ways. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I never <laughs> so, like to say that for I, sure. I, I, think, I think it is because she's, she's past 30% of the season, obviously. Okay. So. Very good. Anthony, great to talk to you. Best wishes. We'll catch up again soon. Thank you so much, Darren. You betcha. That's Anthony Anderson. Covers Notre Dame women's basketball. The beat reporter for the South Bend Tribune. The Irish win 76-54 yesterday. But Dara Mabry goes down with that injury. It is 547. We'll come back with our Twitter question of the day next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Okay, we've got two Twitter question vote updates and then a brand new question for today. Let's start with the recaps. We go back to Thursday's program. I asked you this question and posted it on my Twitter account at 960 Sports Beat, which 2023. Notre Dame football elite game is the most, quote-unquote, winnable. Ohio State, which is at Notre Dame Stadium. USC, which is a home game, or at Clemson. So which of the three is the most winnable? Third place in the voting, a team that made the college football playoff this year, but their quarterback, C.J. Stroud, has entered the NFL draft. The Ohio State Buckeyes got 24% of the vote. Coming in second place, 33% of the vote, the USC Trojans who still have their Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. And winning the vote, the one road game of the three contest. You believe the most winnable game for Notre Dame among these three games is in Death Valley against the Clemson Tigers. That got 43% of the vote. They'll have a new starting quarterback, of course, this time. Notre Dame has beaten the Tigers two straight at Notre Dame Stadium. Irish head back to Death Valley for the first time in, what, about eight years. So thank you for voting on that question. Interesting results. Over the weekend, I put out this Twitter question of the day. Who is the greatest Notre Dame men's basketball coach? Two choices, Mike Bray or Richard Digger Phelps. Coming in second place with 45% of the vote is the coach with the second most victories in Notre Dame history, leading the Irish to 14 NCAA tournaments and a Final Four, Digger Phelps. And winning the vote, the all-time winningest coach, in Notre Dame basketball history, 13 trips to the tournament, two Elite Eights. Mike Bray got 55% of the vote. So thank you so much for voting on those two. Now today's question, which is posted on my Twitter account 
at 960 Sportsbeat. Today's question is, who had the best win this weekend? Who had the best win this weekend? Three choices. High school basketball. You've got the second-ranked team in 4A Penn beating the number one team in 3A Marion, 66-52. Your second choice, the Irish hockey team on the road, knocked off, then number three Penn State, 2-1 Friday night. And your third choice, the Bengals' dominating performance in the NFL playoffs against the Bills, 27-10. We'd love for you to vote on my Twitter account at 960SportsBeat. We'll have the results tomorrow and a brand new question for you. And it will be in regard to the upcoming Super Bowl 57. All that on tomorrow's program. We're going to take a break. A sports update is coming up. Then we will spend some time with WHME and WNDU's Chuck Freeby to talk Mike Bray. That classic Penn Marion game at the Penn Palace on Friday, and a look ahead to tomorrow's 46th game of the week featuring Fairfield and Mishawaka. That conversation in about 10 minutes on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. It is seven minutes after six o'clock at Sports Radio 960 WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on the WSBT Radio app. My name is Darren Pritchett. Welcome to the second hour of the program for this Monday. I'm joined by a broadcasting Hall of Famer in our area, Chuck Freeby from WHME TV, WHME Radio, also WNDU. We're going to talk a few topics, including that terrific Penn-Marion game Friday night at the Penn Palace. We'll talk a little Mike Bray and more in this conversation. Chuck, good to be with you. How are things in the Freebie household? Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, The dog is back from the vet. He's doing well. (laughs) Good. Uh, You know, so those are the main topics of conversation around the house today. I'm, I'm glad you're diverting me with some actual sports because the dog went to the vet today. That pretty much consumes the day. I got you there. Does the dog have a sports name? Uh, he's Skipper. So, okay. I mean, he's, he's sitting in a big league dugout. Okay. Very good. <laughs> I'm imagining Jim Leland hitting a cigarette as, as we're having this conversation. I don't know why, but anyway, I think, I think Skipper lights him up too. I'm not sure. <laughs> I have a great visual right now. All right, let's start with Mike Bray. Chuck, 23 years as the Notre Dame men's basketball coach. He is leaving the program after this season. All-time winningest coach in Notre Dame history. 13 NCAA tournaments, a couple of Elite Eights, and I think that 2015 ACC championship will be as special as anything on Mike's resume. As you think back to where the program was when Mike took over, and to where he got it, how much difference did Mike Bray make in changing the way people here and across the country look at Notre Dame basketball? You have to remember, Notre Dame had not been in the tournament for 10 years prior to Mike Bray's arrival. So for him to get them there and for them to get to the Sweet 16 as quickly as he got them there within the first couple of years was an amazing feat by Mike. And then to handle that transition from the Big East 
to the ACC. If you remember that 2014 team, uh, while talented, and, and basically the nucleus of what we saw erupt in 2015 and 2016, 2014, Notre Dame had a losing season. I vividly remember uh, broadcasting with the baseball team, and we were down in North Carolina to get ready for a series with Duke and went over to Greensboro Coliseum to watch Connaughton and the guys play in their mm. first ACC tournament and basically labeled it a rescue mission because we were going to get our pitcher from the basketball team. <laughs> and boy, oh boy, Pat was a part of one of Mike's best teams, Jaron Grant. Pat Connaughton got all the way to the Elite Eight, losing to that great Kentucky team that was undefeated. They did not win the title. They would lose their next game. But Mike came close to getting to the Final Four. And, you know, Chuck, I don't know if you agree with me on this, and, and maybe I've been wrong all these years, but I've always felt like the most difficult player to recruit to a team at Notre Dame is the men's basketball team. I always thought Mike had the biggest uphill oh, battle. Yeah. Do you agree? Oh, yeah, because uh, the pool that he gets to select from is so limited, and it's that way in the transfer portal, too. Mm -hmm. If you take a look at what Notre Dame doesn't get to choose from in the transfer portal, which would be basically freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors, they can only take graduate transfers based on the university's rules right now. So you have limited yourself to basically 2% of the transfer pool. Wow. And I, I think that that is something that does not bode well for Mike's successor unless some things change around here because uh, we all see right now with NIL and the way the transfer portal shuttle is going. And then you look at the composition of the roster right now with six graduate students. Uh, the cupboard's going to be pretty bare for whoever is coming in here. Hmm. Chuck, if I had a say in the matter, I would place this phone call. I would expect to get a gracious no, but my first phone call would be to Monty Williams. I think that'd be a great phone call to make. I think another phone call you could make and probably get another gracious no is Jay Wright. Oh, if you yeah. want somebody with more of a college pedigree, he's sitting on the sidelines right now. He's available. But no, Monty would, Monty would be a great choice. Now, you wonder a little bit with Monty the same thing that IU fans wonder right now with Mike Woodson. How would he adapt coming from basically being a career NBA coach, mm -hmm. coming back to alma mater, and, and coaching at this level? I think Woodson is, is learning some things at the collegiate level and, and learning how to handle his teams, and I think Monty would have to be given the same kind of grace that Mike's been given for the first couple of years. Uh, the other name that really gets my attention is uh, Pat Kelsey down at College of Charleston. Mm. Uh, they are ranked in the top 25. He comes from kind of the same pedigree in terms of a, of a mid-major that Bray did. He's got a great Catholic school background. He is a ball of energy. And I, I think you need somebody with a lot of energy to take on this program. Because things that the Notre Dame basketball coach is going to have to understand, you are never the number one sport. Mm -hmm. You're lucky if you're the number two sport. Uh, you're going to have to grind like heck to get people in the stands. You're going to have to grind like heck to find the guys out there that 
that you can get. Uh, and now with NIL and Transfer Portal, the job becomes even tougher. So to me, I mentioned Jay Wright, he's 61. To me, this is a young man's job right now. Hmm. Young compared to me is just about anybody. But <laughs> Pat Kelsey's in his 40s. You could picture him coming here and being here 15, 20 years. Hmm. Chuck Freeby from WHME and WNDU joining me on WSBT Radio. And the new coach will have to understand the precedent has been set. If you win the Maui Classic, you come back to the locker room with no shirt on. I think you can leave that one unique. <laughs> okay, fair you enough. You can leave that one as unique as Mike Bray is. So there's no sense in trying to duplicate that. Although I can, from what I've read about Pat Kelsey, uh, he strikes me as the kind of guy that might do that. Okay, there's a there's a check mark for him then. You were a part of a great broadcast on WHMB Friday night. Two of the best teams in the state in their respective classes, and heck, throw away the classes. They're two of the best. Mishawaka, Marion, and Penn, two great head coaches, two great programs with fantastic players. And Marion had beaten Penn eight straight times. Penn got the job done this time, 66-52. Before we talk about what happened in the game, I just want you to describe the atmosphere because I mentioned earlier I went into the facility for the last couple of minutes. It was electric. And for someone that was not in the state for single-class basketball, I felt back we turned back the clock a bit Friday night. The atmosphere had to be very similar, Chuck, to what you used to have to deal with broadcasting games back in single-class basketball. It had a late 80s, early 90s feel. Uh, there's no question about that. It, the place was about three-quarter full at halftime of the JV wow. game. I was getting texts from people who were having problems parking. We went on the air 20 minutes before uh, tip-off to do our open, and at that point we had not received the word that it was officially sold out. By the time we got done 15 minutes before tip-off, it was officially sold out, and we were told they were turning people away. Mm. I have done a lot of games at Penn over the years. I've never seen that place nearly as packed as it was. They were literally standing on the boards behind the back row of the upper deck. So it was hanging from the rafters, standing room only. God bless them. They let the students in for free, which I'm a big advocate of. I, I think as many schools that can do that should do that. And the Penn student body showed up. Boy, did and they. they filled up their section. And the Marion student body showed up, and they filled up their section. Now, I don't know that the Marion students got in free. But nevertheless, <laughs> um, yeah, and the band was there, and it was just a great high school atmosphere. It's the kind of thing that you see pictures of down around central and southern Indiana, mm -hmm. but never seems to happen up here, and it did on Friday night, and it was special. Penn 66, Marion 52. Let's start with the history in the game. The Notre Dame signee Marcus Burton becomes the all-time leading scorer in Penn history, and he got it done with a really good defensive play. Yeah, absolutely. He uh, made a steal about midcourt, brought it down. He had had two or three shots at the basket prior to that to make the record, had not been able to cash those in, was able to put it in and score. And 
break the record held by Noah Applegate. It's funny because the record kind of moved on him during the week. We were told <laughs> early in the week that he had to get 44 points against Northridge to tie the record, and he got 40. And so it's all right. This can be really early in the game, guys. We've got to be ready for this. And then the word comes down Wednesday. Hey, he needs. 11 points, not four, to, to tie the record, which was fine. You knew he was going to get that many, and uh, he certainly did, and then some wound up with 32. I'm sure, Chuck, Marcus is going to be a part of your answer, but what was the difference in the game that allowed Penn to win this game against a great Rob Berger team by 14? Honestly, the difference was defense and rebounding. Yes, Marcus Burton got his points. Marcus Burton's had points in games where Penn has lost in the past. But Penn owned the rebounding margin on Marion in this game, and their unheralded bigs, 6'8", Dylan Durda, 6'8", Josh Gatete, not only did a great job on the glass, but Al Rhodes in his defense put Gatete out top of his switching man-to-man and really bedeviled Deglin Sullivan and was able to take away the three-point shot from Marion. Marion only shot one out of six from three-point range in the first half, pretty low percentage for a team that normally shoots 41% from beyond the arc. So Penn's length gave Marion fits, and then Burton did what he does offensively, and it doesn't hurt when you get a three-pointer or two from Joe Smith and a three-pointer or two from Trey Miller. So I thought Penn flexed its depth a little bit in this game too. They're, They're able to go eight deep very comfortably, and they did, and I thought it wore down Marion a little bit in the third quarter when you thought the Knights might be able to make a run. It would be a massive upset at this point for someone other than Penn to represent the 4A teams in our area at semi-state. Again, this year it's a little different regional. It's just one game. Semi-state is two games. I mean, Penn is the prohibitive favorite, and it would take a Villanova versus Georgetown effort, I think, to beat them this year. But in 3A, Chuck, we have two of the best teams in the state, not too far apart, Marion and Northwood. You have seen the two teams. Would you call the talent level pretty close between the two squads? I I think it is. I I think Northwood is a little more physically imposing. We we mentioned the height that Penn has, a couple of 6'8 kids. Well, Northwood has some pretty good height, too, with the Roche brothers. Ian Roche is 6'6", headed to Grace College. His brother Tyler, a sophomore, is 6'7". You've got Kate Brenner, who I believe is 6'3". So that's some pretty good bodies across the board there for Northwood. And the thing about all those guys is they're versatile. They can go down low and power it up, but they can shoot the three very well. Northwood shoots the three at 43%, and defensively, they have absolutely obliterated teams defensively this year, uh, especially in the Northern Lakes Conference. So it'll be very interesting in a couple of weeks when Northwood plays Mishawaka, those two teams undefeated right now in the NLC. I think it's going to be really interesting when Marion plays Washington this Friday Mm. night because South Bend Washington is a team that people kind of soured on after they lost on TV 46 to John Glenn. But Brian Vargas' team has been playing better, and now they get that, that next pop quiz before we hit March. Didn't they have a freshman score 40 the other night? Steven Reynolds, if the name sounds familiar, he's the son of the Washington girls basketball coach who's celebrating a birthday today, by the way, and his birthday that he's celebrating, 
43, the number of points that his son scored on Friday night. So I told him next year a kid's got to score 44. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's Kira from the girls' team or Steven from the boys or one of the girls in college. I love it. I love it. Chuck, you've got a 46 game of the week coming up tomorrow night, and we're very excited that the crew and yourself is coming to the cave to see the Mishawaka Cavemen take on Fairfield. Mishawaka has won 10 in a row and playing, you know, really good basketball right now. Had a pretty good performance against Northridge. The game got a little closer than it should have been, I think, compared to most of the game, but they still won by a comfortable margin. Any thoughts as you've done a little diving into these two basketball teams? Just got off the phone uh, before we started with Derek Heinen, the Fairfield coach. You know, the Falcons are only 3-9 and nine right now, but their last three losses have been by one, two, and three points. So if Mishawaka gets overconfident looking at Fairfield's record, they could have some problems. The Falcons have some length inconsistent shooting the ball. If they find somebody who can fill it up tomorrow night at the cave, could be closer than many people think. Mishawaka just playing terrific basketball under Bodie Bender right now. They're getting up and down the floor a lot better than they have in the past. Uh, the team takes on the personality of the head coach. He is He's not Mike Bray loose, but he's a pretty loose guy, <laughs> and he likes to have fun, and the team has... Hey, I had to survive at Mishawaka practice today. This Pritchett kid was trying to maim me, kicking balls at me and stuff like that. It was accidental, but nevertheless, once he started coming around the head a little bit, I said, okay, I'm out of here. Um, no, I, I really like the makeup of the team. Arthur Jones has been a developing kid at point yeah. guard for a couple of years, and I think he's really found his niche. The, the thing that startles me about this Mishawaka team is we talked about the depth that Penn has going eight deep. Well, Mishawaka has comfortably gone 10 deep, and I think that's the thing that Bodie takes the most pride in with this group is they can just wear teams down. And there are very few teams, in fact, they may be the only one I can think of in this area, that right now can go 10 deep. Yeah, a lot of times Bodie will just put in an entire New starting lineup for the second quarter, and the starters will rest in that second quarter, and then they're full go for the second half. So you're right, that is pretty unique to have that many players in the rotation. So for Mishawaka fans, how can they check out this team, which I hope they do because we're trying to get the attendance up at Mishawaka with this team right now. So how can Mishawaka fans check out the broadcast of the Mishawaka-Fairfield game on the 46th game of the week? So here's what you do. Tomorrow okay. night you actually go to the game and yes. you bring your radio along. You listen to Brian and Ron on the call yep. on WSBT radio. And then what you do is Wednesday night at nine in prime time, you don't watch IU Minnesota. You watch Fairfield <laughs> Mishawaka on TV 46. And then if you didn't catch it, then you tell the boss, I've got a cough. You stay home from work. You practice for the NCAA tournament. And Thursday afternoon at 2, it will be on as well. Okay. I think I've got it. I've got a lot of rules for the next few days. Got to do this, yeah, got to well, do that. Okay. Just be a good employee for once, will you? <laughs> I mean, for crying out loud. Well, just like my son, I kick things around the office too, so I know where he gets it from. Well, it's going oh, to be. I knew where I got it from. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's going to be great to have you at the cave 
tomorrow night, that's for sure. And we look forward to the broadcast to Mishawaka Fairfield on the 46th game of the week, Wednesday at 9, Thursday at 2. And Brian and Coach Heklinski have the live call on 96 on the ton tomorrow night at about 7.05. Very good. Good to catch up with you, Chuck. How lucky you? Go ahead. How lucky am I, Darren? I had that game at the Palace last week. I'm in the oldest gym in Indiana on Tuesday night to do a game. And then Friday night I go down to the Tiger Den in Warsaw for for the team that I think will be number one this week in 3A, Northwood, taking on Warsaw. By the way, the last time Northwood won at Warsaw, Al Rhodes was coaching the Tigers. Oh, really? It's been a while for the Panthers and the Tiger Den. That is a house of horrors for Northwood. Have you been to the cave since they tore down the white ceiling? Uh, today I was. Okay. And I found things that Nagel had left up there. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah, there was a few kickballs and, and some other things, I think, up there when they when they brought that down. Hey, before we go, one more thing. How excited are you for sure. Trey Mancini to be with the Chicago Cubs? I texted him and I said, you know, I've been a Cub fan since I was five years old. So I am over the moon for myself, but I'm over the moon for him. What a great environment for him. And I think he'll add something to that team. I really do. He is so versatile. And as he said at his presser today, I don't care where you play me. I just want to play. What kind of great attitude is that to have? It's a refreshing one. That's for sure. Very good. Not one you hear from a lot of players. No, no, not at all. Chuck, I will see you at the old ball yard tomorrow night. Looking forward to it. Me too, my man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Chuck Freeby, WHME TV, WHME Radio, WNDU, 46th game of the week. Tomorrow night, Mishawaka and Fairfield will be at the Cave. You can watch it Wednesday at 9 and Thursday at 2 o'clock. 627 at WSBT. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett at 634. Today's My Five Question of the Day. My top five storylines from this weekend's NFL Divisional Round Action. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. We begin with Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I have a feeling they're just getting started being a force in the AFC. Now, they lost to the Kansas City Chiefs 27-20 on Saturday. But I think we left that game knowing with the talent that they have and the development of their quarterback, Lawrence, that they are the best team in the AFC South going into next year. They, without a doubt, have the best quarterback for the long term. Now, That could change in the next couple of years, depending on if, A, the Colts pick a quarterback in the draft, and B, can develop him into a difference-making player. But for now, Lawrence, I think, is missing some consistency, but you're starting to see stardom in his game. In a hostile environment against a really good team, Kansas City, Lawrence went 24 of 39 for 217 yards and a touchdown. Jaguars have been a bit of a laughing stock, a team that normally picks in the top 10. Looks like that's changing under head coach Doug Peterson. Four. 
Number four, is it fair to say that quarterback Dak Prescott playing well was the one major missing piece for the Cowboys yesterday? San Francisco outlasted the Cowboys 19-12. to Now, let's start by saying this. San Francisco has a terrific defense led by an outstanding run defense. I don't think anyone expected the Cowboys to run over the Niners in this game, which meant Prescott was going to have to be pretty good in this contest to get Dallas to their first NFC Championship since 1995. It didn't happen. Now, Dallas ran it 22 times for 76 yards. Dak ran for 22 of those yards. And Tony Pollard going out with an ankle injury. The Cowboys without Pollard at running back, just not the same team. I know Zeke Elliott makes the most money, but Pollard's the guy for Dallas. So that put more on the shoulders of Prescott. Two costly interceptions in this game. The picks led to two San Francisco field goals. Dak, 23 of 37 for 206, a touchdown and two picks, and got outplayed by Mr. Irrelevant, the third-string quarterback for San Francisco, Brock Purdy, who's now 7-0 as a starter. Incredible. Dallas defense gave up 19. In the year 2023, that should be enough to win a football game. Special teams, Maher missed that extra point. Well, it was blocked, but I think we can all agree he was going to miss it by 30 feet to the left. I don't like to put anything on one player's shoulders, but Dak not executing at a high level I thought was the difference in this football game. Purdy took care of the football, did enough to win the game. Dak, the $40 million man, it's the same old story. Here we are again after the playoff exit by Dallas. Can Prescott lead this team to a championship? I don't think the answer has changed since last year. Okay, okay. Uh, Number three. Gainwell a motion out of the backfield on third and five. Three receivers right, two wide to the left. Empty backfield from the shotgun. Hurts looking right all the way. Throws for Goddard. One-handed catch at the 10. Up the right sideline at the five and powers his way into the end zone for the touchdown. He went through Julian Love at the goal line, and the Eagles take a 6-0 lead on the 16-yard pass from Hertz to Goddard. Receivers right of the line, Sanders to the left of Hertz, who's in the shotgun. Hertz will get the snap, swing it right side, caught by Smith at the 5, and Smith up the right sideline, diving into the end zone for the touchdown. Devontae Smith gives the Eagles a 13-0 lead. The audio, courtesy of Westwood One, heard right here on WSBT Radio Saturday night. Philadelphia flexing their muscles as the best team in the NFC, the number one seed, as they beat their division foe, the New York Giants, 38-7. In those highlights, you heard the great play from Jalen Hurts, still nursing that left shoulder injury he suffered in Chicago against the Bears. But Hurts who had only played one game the last month, did not look rusty. couple of touchdown throws plus the running game just hurt the Giants all game long. It is hard to win a football game when you give up 268 rushing yards and three touchdowns. Hurts had 
one of those rushing touchdowns. Miles Sanders had 90 yards. He's their starting running back, but he was overshadowed by his backup. Kenneth Gainwell, 112 yards on a touchdown on 12 carries. Who's he? We know about Boston Scott and Miles Sanders, but Kenneth Gainwell did a lot of damage in this game. And this was your classic. Everybody was a little down on the Eagles for the way they ended the regular season, and everybody was high on the Giants after they beat the Vikings, and all the money was put on the Giants, and yet the odds kept going in the opposite direction. That was a classic public dog that had fleas. The Eagles, minus eight at kickoff, easily covered that number, and they won 38-7. to seven. Number two. Mahomes under center, gets the snap, fakes the handoff, rolls to the near side, cocks his arm, short pass, caught by Kelsey, five, runs along the hash mark and into the end zone, touchdown Chiefs! Shotgun snap, quick throw, goal line caught, spinning, touchdown, Kelsey, one yard touchdown run, Kelsey his second touchdown catch today, and the Chiefs extend their lead before halftime. McKinnon, the running back in motion, shotgun snap to Mahomes, left tackle block, moves up, messy pocket, throws in the end zone, caught, touchdown, underneath the crossbar by Marquez Valdez-Catling. Leaping high, his club snaps that ball out of the air, a six-yard touchdown pass, and the Chiefs now lead by nine with confetti in the air, and the lead was 7.08 to go, and the extra point coming up as Mahomes again hobbles to the sideline. I could listen to Kevin Harlan all day call a game on the radio. Absolutely spectacular. The detail he brings you in every call, fantastic. Even throwing in the confetti at the end of that call, which was in the air at Arrowhead. Number two, Patrick Mahomes leads the Chiefs to the victory over the Jaguars, and he did it with a high ankle sprain, which occurred late in the first quarter. He was hobbling around. Left the game, came back, not close to himself, but good enough in this game to beat the Jaguars 27-20. A lot of concern about Mahomes being able to go in this game or how effective he'll be against Cincinnati in the AFC Championship game. A high ankle sprain is not easy to overcome. There's no way he'll be 100% in this game, maybe not even 75%. And what do you know? The Bengals who won their last year on the same spot, are a one-point favorite against Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Number one. And we finish things off with number one. Joe Burrow wins his fifth playoff game as the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals 27, Bills 10. And it is remarkable how Burrow has changed Cincinnati Bengals football. In the franchise history, before Burrow arrived from LSU, they had five franchise playoff wins. Burrow has five already. And this one was impressive as the Bengals got off to a fast start and did not let up. Facing pressure. Goes over the top, wide open is Chase, and he splits the defenders for the touchdown. It's third and seven. To the end zone, open, wide open. Hurst hauls it in for another Cincinnati touchdown. That made it 14-0 in the first quarter. 
two drives, two touchdowns. Jim Nance, courtesy of CBS Sports, on the call as the Bengals won by 17. It was a snowy day in Buffalo. Three offensive linemen down for the Bengals, and what do they do? They get the ball out of Burroughs' hands quickly. Using the tight end, Hurst, you got the running backs involved in the passing game. Yeah, they got it to their guys, Higgins and Chase, but it was a terrific game plan that got rid of the ball out of his hands in a hurry before the pass rush could get to him. Buffalo can't run the ball very well out of the shotgun. They were throwing more passes down the field. It just didn't feel like Buffalo had a game plan that worked in that weather. Now, maybe they are so used to playing in that type of weather, they felt like they could go with their regular stuff. Maybe going with a more intermediate passing game would have helped them, but without a great running game, puts a lot of pressure on Josh Allen. And here come the Bengals again. Could they make it to the Super Bowl again? Back-to-back years, and heck, there's a chance we might go back to the 80s. When the Bengals made the Super Bowl the first two times, who did they play both times? The San Francisco 49ers, and you look up, the Niners are in the NFC title game. The Bengals are in the AFC title game. So Burrow winning his fifth playoff game, my top storyline of the weekend. How about some sizzlers, some sports wagering talk next, 645 at WSBT. When you're... Show me the money. We go with Sizzler. We go with Sizzler. Ten minutes in front of 7 o'clock at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett. Thanks for joining me on this Monday evening. We wrap up the program with a little Sizzler as we go through some sports wagering picks. Over the weekend, I posted on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat my four picks for Saturday's NFL action. I wasn't as fond of Sunday's selections, but I really like some things on Saturday, so I posted them. And here is the four choices from Saturday morning. First, I went with the Chiefs would score first in the game against Jacksonville, and they would also win the game that... Two-game parlay went for minus 135, so you bet 10, you win 17.40. The Chiefs would score first. Mahomes getting hurt made things a little more nerve-wracking than they should have been, but the Chiefs won 27.20, so we were up $7.40 right off the bat. The second suggestion was the Eagles minus 7.5 against the Giants at minus 110. The Eagles blew out the Giants in Philadelphia earlier in the year. Kind of throw away the second game, the last game of the regular season. Philadelphia rested a lot of players. But this was the classic, as I mentioned a few moments ago, the public dog that had fleas. Everybody was on the Giants for the most part. Most of the money bet in this game was taking the Giants fresh off that win over the Vikings. The Eagles had not played well to end the regular season. All the money came out on the Giants. The sharp people went with the Eagles, and Eagles minus 7.5 was the right play as they won easily 38-7. I saw some of the, the Sharks, the serious pro bettors. They were taking the Eagles 
minus 15, minus 20, and getting some pretty big odds and easily winning those wagers as Philadelphia won by 31. My third suggestion for Saturday's NFL games, Giants running back Saquon Barkley over 28.5 receiving yards. The Eagles had given up some yards to running backs this year. Barkley had been catching the ball a lot. I was figuring the Giants would be playing from behind. The Eagles pass rush, one of the best in the NFL. So what do you do? Daniel Jones dump it off to Saquon. Unfortunately, he did not get to 28 and a half. He only had 21, so we lost that wager. But we salvaged the day going 3 and 1 by winning the fourth wager. Eagles running back Miles Sanders over 68 and a half rushing yards. He went over 100 in Philadelphia against the Giants earlier in the year. He went over that 68 and a half easily as Sanders finished with 90. So, 3 and 1 on Saturday. Finished the week 9 and 8, 21 and 20 for the month of January. Here we go with four suggestions for tonight's action. We start with some college basketball. We have two college basketball and two NHL. We'll start with an ACC matchup. And this is one of those games that has fleas. And I'm all in. Virginia Tech at home, minus two against Duke. You're like, what? I'm all in on the Hokies. I'll lay the two and take Virginia Tech at home, even though they have not played well. Duke isn't Duke this year. I'll take the Hokies minus two at minus 110. Secondly, Kansas plus two and a half at Baylor at minus 110. Kansas has played two poor games in a row, hoping for a bounce back. NHL, I've got the Rangers on the money line against the Panthers. And my fourth suggestion, Stars on the 60-minute line, which means there are three choices. Dallas wins in regulation, Sabres win in regulation, or a tie at the end of regulation. I'm going Stars winning at minus 115. So Virginia Tech minus two, Kansas plus two and a half, Rangers on the money line, Stars on the 60-minute line. Sports be brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you, Barnaby's the family inn. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, or new beginnings have happy endings. And Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. My thanks to Anthony Anderson of the South Bend Tribune and Chuck Freebie from WHME for joining me. Have a great evening, 7 o'clock, coming up at WSBT South Bend. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 